Rashad Field from the future here. Well, that's not true. It is October 2022, and I have just finished editing the last chapter of Abigail Hilton's Thank you. book, Arcobe's Bright Side. I'm sure there will be a few relines. In fact, there were a couple of mistakes that I discovered, and she will discover more. But I finished, and I thought, oh, wow, I can do whatever I want right now. I could take a nap. I could watch a movie. I could read a book. I could, did I mention, take a nap? And then I remembered that I don't have any finished episodes of the Rish Outcast for October. And I thought, well, that's what I should do. And so I think what we'll do today is back a, a month ago, I worked on another Christmas movie with my nephew and I posted it on my blog and I feel like I posted it on Patreon saying, if you want me to do an episode about this, let me know. If you enjoy when I talk about working on films or doing extra work, let me know. And nobody. What, uh, fake Sam Jackson? Nobody said a goddamn thing. Thank you. Sometimes you need a celebrity to put things into perspective. My own voice is not enough. But guess what? You guys lose. Because I'm running it anyway. I sat down and I talked about my experience. And I hope that you guys enjoy it. And then afterward, I think I will say a little bit about this audiobook that I just finished. In fact, I, I, I have like two or three little segments where I spoke to myself and said, save this and we'll come back to it later. And so I'll sprinkle that through the next couple of episodes. But because I am choosing to do this, instead of reading a book or watching a movie or taking a nap twice, you're going to have this episode. I hope that you appreciate that. This podcast is important to me, even if it isn't to other people around me, which is weird, I know, but I've been doing it for a while now, and I listen to other people's podcasts, and just this month I listened to a podcast that I've been listening to for like four years, and the podcaster says, you know, I've had some difficulties, and, and work has gotten in the way, and I, I don't think I can do this podcast anymore. But I really want to thank the people that have listened and that have supported me and that have told me that it's made a difference in their life. And it made me sad because I am one of those people that I, I had enjoyed listening to that podcast. I'd looked forward to it. There'd be times when I'd be cleaning or washing dishes or mowing lawns or making the couch up here at the cabin. And I would listen to that podcast and it was like I was not alone. And so just going out on a limb that somebody out there feels the same way about this show. Here is this episode, and if I finish it early enough, maybe I will take a nap. Enjoy. Okay, put the windows up. It's 101 degrees in the shade, as they say. So, 
A couple of days ago, I did another Christmas and so just last May, I did a Netflix Christmas movie that was shot down here by where I live. In fact, the shot in the town where I went to high school. But this one was in the heat of summer, in the dog days, as they say. And uh, this one is for Hallmark Channel. And amazingly, it's going to be out this Christmas, just like the one that was shot months ago. I, I understand if there's not a lot of special effects that are necessary, the turnaround can be really, really fast. When I was in LA and I would work on Boston Public, sometimes David Kelly would change his mind on something or he would decide to do reshoots, like right at the 11th hour. And so they would call back those of us who had been in a certain scene to do reshoots. And we were supposed to find the same clothes that we had on that first day just to match. Not that anybody would ever notice, but, you know, it's, 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 that's how you want it to be. You want it to be indistinguishable. And we would shoot those things. And within like a week or 10 days, they'd be on the air, which I always found amazing. I mean, not all the, I, often I would not show up at all. And it would make me wonder why they even worked us, you know, but the money still spends the same if you are all over the episode or you are not seen at all. That was a tangent, wasn't it? Anyhow, in the past, I, I've gotten my oldest nephew, who is now 14, to join me. And we did a movie end of last year. No, no, it was a pilot for a TV series. And it was all about either middle school or high school. I'm going to say junior high because nobody says junior high anymore, but who cares? It was a middle school scene and he played one of the kids in the classroom where the principals go to school. Principals are the, the, the lead stars, sorry. The, the, the actors with lines, those are principals. And I just played a teacher, so when they finally went out into the hall toward the end of the shooting day, I got to work. And I probably worked for 15 minutes. Maybe it was an hour, I, who knows. I ah, see, I cut myself. But he worked all day, and for some reason, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He didn't want to do it anymore. But I mentioned last week to my nephew, who is 11, that they were looking for kids and people to play parents for a Christmas movie. And did he want to do it? His mom said, well, he, he'll be in school by then. And I said, yeah, but it sounds like it's a night shoot. And what I was surprised with is his dad said, yeah, sign him up sign him up, make him do it, or have him do it, I guess. But it, it amounts to the same thing. Because if you sign up, you're sort of obligated. And I understand that people flake. Big Anklevich's wife was involved in hiring for a long time, and she would talk about the lack of work ethic that young people had nowadays. And it would always be horror stories that we'd hear about these fucking millennials you know, and helicopter parents and, and uh, people that just wouldn't show up for work. They decided, ah, they didn't feel like going in. And then they expected to still have a job the next day. But anyway, I guess a bunch of people will sign up for these things and then flake. But 
I've never done that. I would never do that. Partly because you, you need the money. You sign up not for the love of the game, kids, but for the paycheck, right? And it was extensive. They made us go up and the location was about 45 minutes away, maybe longer. Well, it was longer the first day because there was an accident on the freeway. But it's 45 minutes to and 45 minutes back. And they made us go spit into a, a tube so we could do COVID tests. And yeah, that, that has been a part of extra work for the past, for more than a year, for the year and a half or so. Once the film industry started up again, You'd have to pass tests or, you know, once there was a vaccine, you had to show proof of that you were vaccinated. But this one was you just needed a negative test within 48 hours, I think, of, of working on it. And so the two of us went up and we each spat in the thing. <laughs> so it's a Christmas movie. I explained that already, right? And that's fine. No big deal. I don't really understand why they don't shoot the Christmas movies in November, December, or January, February kind of thing, where they don't have to put fake snow out, where it is cold, so it's not as much of a punishment for people to have to wear coats and gloves and, and scarves and all that stuff. But ours is not to question why. Ours is just to do or die. Chalupa. Anyhow, I, I told you all about the one last year where the poor old lady, the Aunt May looking lady, not Marissa Tomei, Aunt May, F that noise. Aunt May is elderly. She's frail. She looks like a skeleton. Come on! Uh, maybe that will be an outtake. <clears throat> the, the frail old lady from the set, she fainted. She had heat exhaustion or whatever you call that. Poor lady. And she apologized when the people came to help her. I, I just, what a, what a sad state that that was. That was impissening. You know, I, I said that my nephew doesn't want to do extra work anymore. I couldn't blame anybody after that shoot, if they said, I don't ever want to do this again, because that was not cool. The way we were treated on that set was not cool. And that poor old lady. But this one was quite the opposite. They really, really wanted to look out for us. They had so much water prepared. They had Gatorade. They had sunscreen, enough sunscreen that everybody could put some on. Even I didn't get sunburned. And one thing that was just great, was remarkable, was they, they told us to bring thin or light t-shirts, and that's what we would wear most of the time. And any time they were about to shoot, then we'd put our coats on or our sweaters on and all that on top of the t-shirt. But the rest of the time we were supposed to be in summer clothes, or summer shirts at least, and uh, that was great. That, that There was a paramedic or whatever you would call the person that's in charge of safety on the set that kept giving us the speech of let us know if any of you start to feel overheated or you need something. We don't want anybody passing out. We don't want anybody having a hard time. I liked that. It's good to feel appreciated. 
it's good to feel looked out for. So when we went up to, to test, it was 103 degrees. That is hot, even for me. I love the heat, as you know, but 103, no. Uh, and then two days later, when we shot on the Friday, it got up to like 98, 99. It wasn't quite as miserably hot. But you know what? 98, 99 is, is bad. One thing that I, and I'm not going to be too critical with them, except for, for two things. And the first is, I was waiting to find out our call time and the wardrobe. Because they said, Thursday night, we will let you know what's needed for Friday. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and it was 1.34 a.m. The email came through saying that the call time is 1 p.m. tomorrow, and this is what you're going to need. Dude, that is way too late for people that are parents, that have kids that have to be in school the next day, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost way too late for me. I just wondered about that. It's like, dude, that's, that's inconsiderately late. And I found out the next day, Friday, that my nephew doesn't get out of school until two o'clock on Fridays. So I was going to have to get him out of school. And I was worried because what if I'm not on the list, you know, the excused list, etc. But what's strange, and this is not a criticism of the public school system, unless you want to take it that way. I walked in, I said who I was there for. They didn't ask my name. They didn't ask what my relationship with him was. They just said, oh, sure. And they got him out of school. Now, granted, they did ask, you know, you guys go on on vacation, you guys have a doctor's appointment. And when I told the secretary about the shoot, she was all excited about it. Maybe she had like excellent spider sense and she could have, hey, there's my second Spider-Man reference in this relation. I'm going to try and come up with a third one by accident. But maybe she had a, a sixth sense that would tell her, hey, this guy is not on the level. There, there's something wrong kind of thing. And with me, it didn't go off. But anyway, I had got my poor nephew out of school and we went home and had him put on some long pants. We picked out four, I think, different winter outfits that we had had to get from the storage unit <laughs> that morning. Luckily, his dad had been around to go over there, and I appreciated that because if he hadn't, not sure what would have happened. We would have just had to make do with what was in the closet. And, you know, that's fine. You know, he could have had a light jacket and long sleeve shirt or whatever. It would have been fine. Anyhow, we got in the car and we drove up and I knew it was going to be late, but I figured I had to get him out of school. And that was a, an extra hoop to jump through. If they give me a hard time, I'll just say, you know, hey, 134, guys, is when you let us know. But I didn't. Nobody, they didn't give us a hard time. They were just glad that we were there. And I like that. Plus, I was only like 15 minutes late. Anyhow, our base of operations was a Catholic church that was in this really, really nice neighborhood way up in the hills like where the ski resorts are. And they shuttled us to the set, which was essentially a cul-de-sac of multi-million dollar home. 
and our holding area, which is, you know, the home base where all the extras wait, was the backyard of this gargantuan house. It, it was the biggest backyard I've ever seen. You could play football on the lawn in this backyard, and then they had a pool, they had a jacuzzi, they had a, gosh, what would you call it? Like a guest house or a pool house or something out there. They had a, a playground with swing sets and slides. There's lots and lots of trees and plants and a patio. And it was just really, really nice and huge. And that was where we spent most of the day. And this whole cul-de-sac of nice houses had been decorated for Christmas. They had put lights on the houses. They had put ornaments on the trees, fake snowman. I had a feeling they were trying to do a, like a Santa and his reindeer at one of the houses, and they never got to it because there was this big pile of reindeer on the street, on the asphalt. And it, what it looked like was roadkill. Like a bunch of deer had been hit and they just piled them on top of each other. It was gross. And then on everybody's lawn, you know, the green lawns, they had put white plastic. And then on top of the white plastic, they had put fake snow, which was this foam stuff. And throughout the day, like every hour or so, the prop department would spray the trees and the roofs sometimes of these houses with this fake snow stuff, which is very much like foam. And I watched them load up the machine and it comes in great big bags, like mulch bags that you would get in a garden center of this powder that when you mix it in the machine and put water in it, I suppose, you get fake snow. I thought that that was neat. It's very, very convincing to the camera and to the eye. You know, you're used to what snow looks like. And this looks like that. I do wonder how convincing the winter weather will be on, on screen. If they put like a certain filter or do a, uh, an effect on it in post, to help it seem a little bit cooler, you know, by maybe putting a blue filter or something on there. I, my guess is no. The fact that it is bright summer sunshine is never anything that the audience notices. You'll see movies that do not take place in winter where you can see the breath of the protagonists and very clearly it is cold, but in the story, it's not supposed to be. And my guess is that the opposite is true even more often, especially since they make movies in Los Angeles. Can you still say primarily? I'm going to say primarily. And it's very seldom winter there. Anyhow, this was the very first time that my nephew had ever done any extra work. And luckily, I was there alongside him. I have done it before where I am just a, not a chauffeur. What did you call the person that went on the trips and went to the dances to make sure that nobody got their fingers wet? Chaperone. That's, I have been a chaperone before and it's thankless and miserable, but uh, <laughs> I take it back. It's thankless. It's not miserable. It's just intensely boring because most of what, being an extra is, is waiting, waiting around for you to be used. And then, okay, hey, let's go on to the set. All right, here we go. You ready? You do a few takes and then you go back and wait until you 
will be used again. And if you're a chaperone rather than extra, then it's all waiting. You're waiting for the kid to get used. You're waiting for them to come back. You wait for them to go on the set again. And then you wait for the day to be over. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine how miserable that is. But oh well. For me, because my nephew had never done it before, he felt less comfortable going off by himself with other kids. He wanted to be around me, and, and, and I, I was fine with that. I think that that's neat. At one point, we were involved in a snowman building contest, and all of us were supposed to get in groups of four. Then the kids would all be in a big group together building a snowman. And I asked my nephew if he wanted to be in the kid group or if he wanted to be with me. And he says, yeah, I, I can hang out with you. And so we went and we found two more adults. It was, uh, you know, our little group of four. And basically we pantomimed building a snowman. They had these styrofoam snowmen already built, but you could take off the noses, the carrot noses, you could take off the eyes the mouth, pieces of coal, the hat, the scarf. And we just did that over and over again. We took that stuff off and then we slowly put it back on, pretending that we were building up the snowman. A lot of being an extra is just pretending, pantomiming. No big deal. But because it was so warm, we were supposed to stay in our warm weather clothes until right before they said action. In fact, they told us to not put our coats on and our gloves and all that stuff until they said rolling, which is the you know second to last step before you go. And I appreciated that. Again, like I said before, I've been on sets where they weren't mindful of the comfort or health of the background. You know, there are sets that I've been on where we were made to feel very welcome. We were made to feel like we were an integral part of the filmmaking process. Then there have been other ones where they wished that we had been inflatable or cardboard cutouts. You know, they, they hated having to deal with us. Maybe every, every job is like that. Maybe you have had a job where you're just a number to your boss. Or you have had a job where you are a, like a member of the family. Basically, uh, all the scenes took place on this little cul-de-sac. And it was not a big part of the movie. But it, it, it was still three or four different scenes that we shot on this same day. I didn't find out until the end of the night that it was the last day of filming. Hence, I guess that the day went longer than you would expect it to go, especially with kids. I had told my nephew, you're not allowed to work a kid for very long. You know, in L.A., of course, I think it varies depending on the age of the child. But let's just give a, a round number of eight hours. A kid can only be worked eight hours. And part of that time has to be spent in a school-like environment. So there will be studio teachers or whatever whose jobs it is 
to grab the, the kids and set them down and make them read or do this exercise and stuff. And that's good. You know how former child actors tend to be. They are either monsters because they feel like their childhood was taken from them. They always are in, in search of that elusive childhood again. Or they're hyper-intelligent. They're wise beyond their years. And um, both of those things are awful. But uh, I think I would rather a kid be wise beyond their years than a monster in training. So I had told my nephew it would probably be about eight hours. So, you know, bring, bring a book. But he won't read, so he didn't do that. He has a tablet that he shares with his brother. And so we did bring that. And he had downloaded a bunch of games the night before. Uh, this was my suggestion. So that he would be occupied. Because I told him most of the time you're just going to be sitting around waiting. It would be great if he had brought a paperback book and he'd gotten 15 chapters in or something like that. But he didn't. He brought this tablet. And then we discovered that none of the games would work without an internet signal. And, and so... I figured out how to turn my phone into a hotspot. Is that what that's called? And at first, uh, I just set it up to be a Wi-Fi hotspot. And I figured he could connect to it. But I also found out that other people could connect to it. And so I said, oh, okay, it says you're connected. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I said, well, it says, oh, weird. Now it says two people are connected. And then he got on, okay, now it says three people are connected. And my battery on my phone suddenly just started to, <laughs> it started to go down. Because <laughs> people were piggybacking off this, off my, my phone signal. I'd never done that before. So afterward, the second time that I did it, I limited it to just one person could get on. And uh, that was him. Anyhow, he had a good time. And I'm happy about that. I'm glad because... As I've said, a bad experience can ruin it for a person. Or a, a bad person can ruin the experience for everybody else. What can I say except chalupa? It's all that I ever want to eat. I know I've said this before, but gosh, I feel like I've said everything before. You know what I mean? I feel like... I have been podcasting for long enough that all of, that you know all my stories, that you know all my jokes, that any impression that I do is played out. I'm, I'm, I'm like one of those Saturday Night Live cast members that's just been on the show too long. And yet I'll say this again. I wonder if I could write a Hallmark Christmas movie. If somebody put a gun to my head and said, you have to write this. It's going to be 88 pages. We'll take care of the act outs ourselves. You just write it as though it's a feature film. I wonder if I could write something that would be acceptable, that would be as good as the stuff that my mom watches. And yeah, in July they did that, uh, it's Christmas in July thing on the Hallmark Movie Channel. And what they ought to do is just spin off a Hallmark Christmas channel that's just all year round. That's all it is. It's garbage, but there are people that love that. And I, anyway, I just, I wonder, I wonder if I could pull it off because 
they're fairly cookie cutter, right? But at the same time, I don't feel like somebody who writes these is a soulless hack. Big and I went to a Thunder. writer's conference one time where we went to this panel and it was a woman who was talking about how to write really, really, really fast. And she would put out romance novels. If I recall correctly, she would put out six a year. She would put out one every other month. And she would talk about how fast she could write these things out and how, you know, she would churn them out as fast as she could. But the market was there. The audience for these things was hungry. Maybe the audience wasn't huge because nobody reads. You've heard me say that before, too. It's on my greatest hits out. Oh, but volume two. Volume one was mostly made up of things like on volume one, we had things like everything takes longer than I think it will. All women are inherently bi and roundabouts should be made illegal. But I feel like it takes a certain amount of skill and an understanding of your audience to write something like this. And to the layperson, they are all the same and they're very, very cookie cutter. But if you could sit down the writer of, you know, the one that we just worked on, my guess is she would say that, no, the challenge is to try and write something that is new in each one, to tackle Christmas from a slightly different angle. The, the last thing these writers want to be known as is hacks, right? Anyhow, in a perfect world, the last thing they would want to be known as would be hacks. Anyhow, uh, this movie... I believe is called The Heart of Christmas. And it stars Lacey Chabert, a guy named Wes Brown, who I'd never seen before in anything. But my brother said, oh, Wes Brown, I know him. And I thought, really? Because I'm one of those guys who knows the person that's on this show. And I, you know, has been in three other things, but I'd never heard of Wes Brown. Stephen Toblowski was the comic relief character. He was the person I was most excited to see. Uh, Ellen Travolta, who was on Happy Days, Charles in Charge, and yes, Joni Loves Chachi. I don't hate Christmas. I don't even hate Christmas music. I, I do hate the Christmas all year round thing. And then, yeah, in the, the it's Christmas in July thing, TBS. Maybe it was TNT. TNT had this thing where for 24 hours straight, they were showing the Will Ferrell movie Elf. So, yeah, okay, I hate that. It's, it's almost as bad as a roundabout. But I'm not, I'm not a complete Scrooge. I try to write a Christmas story every year, and I will try and put out a Christmas episode this year where I will read the Christmas story that I wrote last year. If I can, or the year before. Let's see, what did I write in 2020? Who gives a rat's ass? <laughs> so we had like an announcement scene where everybody's standing around in the town square. It was really just the intersection of this cul-de-sac, which they had blocked off so people couldn't get in to it, which is fine. I'm, I'm sure all the people that lived in that cul-de-sac 
had been warned well in advance and paid off. The group, there was about a hundred of us, but maybe it was more than that. It was about 75% adults and 25% children. But that's a lot of children back in, in Los Angeles. Kids were paid more. Minors were paid more just because, again, they really, really looked out for kids. They really coddled kids. There was a, uh, a law on the books there in Hollywood. And I want to say that it was the Jackie Coogan law where kids got their check, but they always set aside money for every single job that they did so that their parents couldn't blow through all of their money. And uh, once the kids turn 18, they would have access to this money that they had been building up throughout their careers. And I think that that's great. If you don't think that that's great, well, how well my chalupa at night so I can, so I can have some Mexican-ish food for me. Disclaimer, may not be genuine Mexican food. Okay, essentially, I think that they shot two days worth of scenes in this one day because we shot all sorts of day stuff, then waited just a little while for the sun to go down, and then we shot night stuff. And I think that they were fairly efficient in their, their filmmaking. I mean, nothing is fast in, in movie making, as you know, Bob. As you know, Bob. But they worked hard and as fast as they could. They could have done better. Uh, of course. The fact that they had several kids on set and the hours just went on and on and on with those kids shows a certain lack of forethought on their part. But, oh well, I mean, you know, anybody can be a backseat driver or a Monday morning quarterback or a weekend gynecologist. You, you just pick your cliche. But what I wish that they had done is shoot the big crowd scene with all the people in it first. You know, get all the footage that they could with as many people in it as they could, including all the children, and then sent the children home. And after that, done their scenes with the dialogue, scenes with the principal actors, when you didn't need to see the kids. But instead, they left it for the last shot of the night, which is called the martini. I, I can't remember if the last time that I did this, where I talked about was shooting that movie, the Netflix Christmas movie. I can't remember if I talked about this guy who was a real loudmouth. He was an extra, but he wanted the focus to be on him. And he kept making these statements. And at one point he'd go up to the microphone and try and, well, he essentially just say, look at me, look at me, mom, no hands. Aren't I cute? Aren't I talented? And that was a much more stressful film shoot for me than this was because I was sitting next to the child that was crying the whole time. He cried for hours and his poor, long-suffering mother. This is not an exaggeration. If somebody told me that that woman is no longer alive, 
just these five, six months later, it hasn't even been six months, I would not be surprised. Anyway, there was this guy and he just kept yammering on and on and on and on. And unfortunately, he was with us on this shoot as well. And I have heard it said that, you know, everybody today is autistic or everybody is ADHD or everybody has something going on with them, which is uh, an excuse to act out. I've heard that said. Not sure if I agree with it. I'm not a psychologist. I don't even play one on TV. But there is definitely something uh, about this guy, whether he is just a douche or whether he has what my dad would refer to as a screw loose. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But this guy just would not be quiet. He could not be quiet. As you know, Bob, the first job that an extra has is to wait patiently. And then the second job is to be quiet. I remember in Los Angeles there being times when none of us were talking. The crew members were chattering amongst themselves. They were grab-assing. And the first assistant director would hear noise and immediately think that it was the extras and yell at the extras when it was not us. It was the crew. But because we're extras, that's who you yell at. There are several unwritten rules, such as you're not supposed to bother the talent, such as you're supposed to have your phone on vibrate or not on at all. But this guy was so obnoxious. And at one point, we had this big crowd scene where it was me and they had decided to put all the kids at the very front row so that you could see that there were kids there. And so my nephew was up there with the other kids. The rest of us sort of stood back and uh, this guy showed up. And for some reason, he decided to stand right next to me. And, and, and the word right is an understatement. He was so close to me that his arm kept rubbing against mine. I, I didn't know what to do. There's that German word that means someone who has a face in need of a punch. And I, I, I couldn't help but thinking about that with this guy. Every time the director would say, cut, this guy would go, that's a wrap. Just kidding. He did it over and over again. By like the sixth or seventh time, I was just seething. I hated this guy. It's weird. I, maybe I'm. Maybe I do come across as an angry young man, angry middle-aged man. Yeah, I said young there. That's not my intention. But there are things that are irritating in life. There are things that make you mad, and this guy really made me mad because it was this look at me thing. Later on, we did this scene where everybody is milling about. Uh, I, I mentioned there was a giant. Christmas tree in the middle of the cul-de-sac surrounded by presents and it had like a little stage set up next to it. The final scene of the night was the traditional lighting of the Christmas tree. And there was a scene where like all the town had gathered for the traditional lighting of the Christmas tree. And we were just supposed to mill around. Well, 
everybody in certain colors were supposed to stand still and everybody in other certain colors were supposed to wander around in a circle. And luckily my nephew and I were wearing the right color where we could just wander in and out and pretend to chat with people and shake people's hands and pretend that we knew each other. And I'd point at like the, the this certain pretty girl to my nephew every single time we saw her. It was just fun. We did it over and over and over again. That's part of filming. <laughs> so unless you're working on that Korean TV show that I did, where it's one take and now move on, or you're working on the David Fincher movie that I did, where it's let's do 40 takes, let's do 50 takes. It's just part of working on stuff. And every time I saw this guy in that milling about scene, he was talking, chatting, and we were just supposed to pantomime. You're supposed to pretend to talk. Pretend that you're chatting with somebody that, oh, I haven't seen you for so long. And it's okay if you do this, if you just barely, barely whisper it. Although in some, on some sets, even that is not allowed. They'll yell at the extra. Well, <laughs> they don't need an excuse to yell at the extras. But just doing that where it's like, hey, my name's going kind of thing. They've gotten after you for doing that. It's supposed to be dead silent so they can record their their dialogue. Anyhow, I have been going for so much longer than I intended to, and I didn't even talk about the part that I wanted to. So we asked my nephew afterward if he enjoyed it, and he said yes, and asked him what his favorite part was. And he said the snowball fight was his favorite part. And it better have been, because it was really fun. It was one of the funnest things I have ever done on a film set. Basically, they separated us into two groups on either side of the street. And they designated the street as no man's land. You know, you're not allowed to go here. They brought out these fake snowballs that were made of like some kind of cotton-like material. Uh, so they were round, uh, but they were very soft. And they were all in water. They were in a container with water in it so that they were all like spongy and moist. And the reason for that is so that you could throw them and they would go where you wanted them to go. Because just throwing a cotton snowball, it's not going to lob like a real snowball would. They told us we're absolutely not allowed to hit any of the principal actors with snowballs. In fact, if anybody did, even by accident, they would be escorted off the set and roughed up by the one crew member who happened to be Italian. There was actually a whole production made about what would be done to one of us if we did hit one of the actors with a fake snowball made of cloth. And so, of course, I didn't. None of, As far as I know, none of us did, because, boy, with the way they were talking, that would be a big thing. But basically, they were going to roll camera, then we all hurry and put our gloves on, put our jackets on, winter hats, scarves, then they would tell us when we could attack one another and we would start throwing snowballs. And depending on the angle that they were shooting at, crew members would be over there lobbing snowballs at us or just other extras would be throwing snowballs back and forth. Uh, but that was very, very fun, very neat, cool to do the snowball thing. The, your adrenaline would get pumping. Basically, they had laid down all of this fake snow 
and uh, we would pantomime gathering it into balls and then you pick up one of these pre-made cloth balls and lob it at somebody else. Unfortunately, there weren't enough snowballs for everyone. And so I spent a good long time pretending I was gathering up fake snow <laughs> to find, ultimately what I, I would do is I would put a couple of fake snowballs in my pocket, the pocket of my coat. And so I would pretend to be making one while I get one out of my coat. And that that's cool. That's fine. There were a couple of scenes, I guess, in the script where characters were supposed to be hit with snowballs and it wouldn't do to use a soft faux snowball. And so what they had was a snow cone maker and they made snowballs out of that. And because it was hot in the 90s out, uh, those were all melty and runny. And uh, they said to the extras, who wants to have a real snowball? I didn't. I was fine with the cloth ones. But my nephew wanted a real one, and so they did it. And uh, threw a couple of those. But once that hit something, they would melt. No big deal. But when they'd say action, go, 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 your heart rate would start going, and you'd get all excited, and you'd scramble, and you'd see the snowballs in the air coming toward you, and hear the shouts from the actors, you know, saying things like, once more into the breach, or no mercy, or uh, every man for himself, you know, war cries, essentially. My nephew had a really good time. Somebody did hit him in the ear with a, a real snowball, and somebody did hit me in my leg with a real snowball. But it was fun. At uh, one point, Stephen Toblowski was really hamming it up. And so the director said, let's do one more, and this time say some line. He fed him a line, and he says, and when Stephen says this, everybody throw your snowballs at Stephen. Or the character was Ned, just like Ned Ryerson in uh, Groundhog Day. And so after this speech of don't even think, don't even accidentally hit one of our stars, with your snowballs, you filth. We were directed to do it. And I probably hit him six or eight times. Uh, all of us threw at him. He probably was hit a hundred times with snowballs. Sammy Jenkins deserves better. But anyhow, I found that to be very fun. You reverted to childhood and you didn't have the painful stinging from when you hit, get hit with a, a snowball. You didn't have your hands that would just be so cold after th rolling and throwing snowballs. It was uh, the best of both worlds in a way. I thought that, that that was really, really cool. Eventually, the sun went down. Now, in the production's defense, the local high school was having a football game. And it, you know, it was a few blocks away, but they had... The intercom going, where he's like, oh, number 63, fumble, out of bounds, field goal, purple monkey dishwasher, you know, that kind of stuff. And I feel like the production had to halt while that was going on. But my guess is that they decided to do their indoor scenes during that because they went into the house where we were all in the backyard waiting and shot some stuff like in the living room there and through the windows. 
So again, it was an it was an efficient production. If it sounds like I'm bitching, I don't except for the for the really loud mouth look at me extra. I'm not complaining. It was a very very long night. I did say that. But I am used to that. That was part and parcel of being an extra. I remember this time Richard Donner was doing a signing over at Dave's Laser Palace or whatever it was called in Burbank. And I really, really wanted to go to it. He was signing the Superman, the 1978 Superman movie. And I'm trying to remember there were, there were a couple of actors from the movie that were going to be there with him. I think Mark McClure might have been there and the guy who played young Clark who said, you know, all these powers and I couldn't even save him. I don't know. I don't know. Because I didn't get to go. I was on set for Boston Public and they had said that it was going to go until six o'clock or something like that. And, and the signing was at seven, but like 8.45, nine o'clock rolled around and they were still using us. And then they, they, they broke us. And by then the signing was over. That made me sad, but it's something that you learn to live with. Your schedule is not your own. Your schedule is not in your hands. And um, like I said, about 25% of the extras were kids. They ranged from about 10 years old to whatever, a 14, 15-year-old kind of thing. There was a, a really, really astounding... Well, there were some really cute girls, you know, child actress-type girls who uh, have been doing commercials or doing modeling or whatever you call it their whole lives. And they act a certain way. It's, uh, it's not a phoniness, but there is an artifice to the way that they act, I, which is fine. Anyway, there was one of them that was just astoundingly beautiful. And I kept pointing her out to my nephew. I was like, hey, check that little girl out. Check her out. And he'd be like, what? And I said, she looks like an angel. It, it was strange. He was much more interested in the iPad than he was in this little girl. Uh, but that's okay. But every time I saw this young actress, I thought, I wonder what the future holds for her. I wonder what kind of experiences she will have as she gets older. The world is her oyster, is something that I'm saying now, but didn't think at the time. Because what a weird saying. Anyway, once the sun went down and that football game was going, we were all just stuck waiting uh, for them to use us again. And it got dark. It got dark in this backyard. And um, we were just sitting around. And the team had been very, very, very good at giving us water, at keeping us hydrated. Let's just say that. But because of that, they'd given us all these little water cups. I would drink the water in the little cup. And then the next time you went on set, you'd come back from the set and you'd get another little cup. And so this multiplied by 100 meant there was so much trash around the lawn the back lawn, a backyard of this household, of this family. And at one point, one of the AD's assistant directors approached one of those kids and said, hey, do you want to help me out? 
the kid, I guess, said yes. He was very nice. And he said, I want you to gather up all of the garbage that you can and put it in this bag. He gave him like a hefty bag. And uh, he also gave him a $50 bill. <laughs> and he says, gather up all the garbage that you can. And, and so the kid started going around gathering up garbage. And the other kids asked him what he was doing. And he explained that that guy over there gave me $50. <laughs> so these other kids went running over to the guy thinking that they too would get $50. And to my surprise, he gave each one of those kids $20 to clean up the garbage. And they were going around. And, and at this point, like the kids would come up to every one of us and say, do you have any garbage for us? And so we gave them the garbage, me and my nephew. And I said to my nephew, hey, do you want to go over there and get in on that? And he goes, "I yeah. And I said, okay, go over and tell him, you know, hey, you'd like to collect garbage too. I guess the AD heard me say that because he came up to us and he goes, hey, I'm sorry, man. All I have is a 10 left. And he gave my nephew $10. My nephew got up and he probably picked up like two or three cups because at this point, all those other kids who'd been well paid had begged, borrowed and stolen all the garbage that was around. And that worked really, really well because at the end of the night, we were all so tired and it was so dark. It saved so much time when we normally would have to be cleaning up after ourselves that that had already happened hours before. Very, very well thought out on, on that guy's part. And my nephew got $10 basically for doing what every person should do for free. Morning. I'm almost done. Don't worry. If you're bored, I'm almost done. I, I'll leave you with this. Well, two things. So they left the big group scene with the lighting of the tree for the very last, for the last scene of the night. They shouldn't have, but that's what they did. And something that I found very unusual is they had invited all of the families that lived in the houses, knee mansions, in this cul-de-sac to be a part of the movie as well. If they wanted to volunteer to come out for this big group shot, they just had to put on winter clothes and come out and stand in a big circle with all the paid extras. And a lot of them did. In fact, some of the kids had told their friends to come over and their friends had come over um, like on their bikes and stuff so that they could also volunteer to be in this movie. Very cool. Anyway, we stood all around and there was even a drone shot from up in the air to catch all of these people. And they went through the dialogue and one of the actors just could not remember his lines. He couldn't get it right. He said, I'm very appreciated of all of you coming out tonight. And he'd say it over and over and over again. The line was, I'm very appreciative, but nobody corrected him, which makes me wonder if it's all going to be dubbed later anyhow, or if they had gotten him to say it like in a, a, a close up when they didn't need any extras around. And so they knew that they already had it in the can of him saying, I'm very appreciative. Cause every time he said, I'm very appreciated, they just let it go. I, I, who knows, but they did this scene over and over and over again. And it was the last scene of the night. 
and people were tired, but I heard very, very little complaining, even from the kids. These were hardworking, professional little kids. My nephew kept saying, oh, dude, you said we would go home at midnight. And I had told him that because my guess is, you know, that kids aren't allowed to work past midnight uh, in any town in America. But I live in one of those right to work states and the rules don't really apply here, as I have found on the many projects that I've worked on here versus the ones that I worked on in Southern California where everything is regulated and there are unions and there are people whose job it is to make sure that the kids are being looked after or no non-qualified person is asked to do a stunt or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, <laughs> maybe it would have been really fun to do a podcast where I talk about extra work every month or so when I lived in LA. That would have been really neat. Podcasts did exist. They were in their infancy back then. That would have been really cool, but didn't happen. So no worries. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. They finished this scene, finally. And it was at this point, it was almost two in the morning. And it turned out it was the last day of shooting. And the director took the opportunity to thank the crew to thank the makeup, to thank the hair, to thank the wardrobe, to thank, you know, the, the, the gaffers, etc. And then each cast member, starting with like the, the day players, he brought up on, onto the, the dais, the stage, and thanked them personally. And we all gave a round of applause. And I had never in all my years working in movies seen this except for when it was a TV show or a movie and it was somebody's last day on the set, they would acknowledge them at the end of that day and say, that is a wrap for, you know, Toby McGuire, whoever it is. But I'd never seen him do it for everybody. And he went through until finally he got to the star of the movie and had her brought up and said a few things about her and, you know, the projects that he had seen her in when he was young. And then, you know, she got to say a few words. And then we all had a, a round of applause. And then they sent everybody back to holding, clean up after ourselves if there was anything, then get in line and sign out our vouchers. And to my surprise, though, those of us who had minors with us, had children, got to go to the front of the line in front of everybody else and sign out then. But of course, I mean, if I had not had my nephew with me, if I had just been little old me, I would have totally understood. Oh, of course, the ones with, I can't believe it. Those guys have kids. It's two in the morning. I looked at our vouchers. We got wrapped at 2.13 a.m., <laughs> That's a long, long day for a, an 11-year-old. And then we had to go back and wait to get into the vans that they had. The, you know, that they, they had three vans. And one of the ADs said there are 170 people on set. So three vans for 170 people. And the first van that I tried to get on had all the actors in it. And I said, oh, is this just for principals? And they said, yes. 
so get out kind of thing. Only the actors got to be in this van. So we went to be in the second van and uh, it was full. Although, again, in their defense, they let the people with children get on the van first. Um, and here was another thing that was really, really interesting. There was a long wait to get on vans. And once you've been signed out, you want to leave. You, you really want to get out of there, please. I want to go home. And to have to wait your turn to get on a shuttle to go back to the parking lot can be agony. And there was one dude, like a youngish 28, 30-year-old guy, who said, F this noise. I'm going to walk back. And I was just like, really? It seemed like it was a long ways. But okay, you know, he was obviously going to make it back to the, the, the parking lot before any of us did. But we waited. And while we were waiting, the prince, some of the principal actors, not all, but some of the principal actors hung out with the extras and posed for selfies with people. And I had never seen that. It just, it, it's, it's unheard of. It's so considerate and nice of actors to do uh, that I was very impressed by that. Anyhow, eventually another van came and there was room for like three more people on it. Uh, there were two little girls and their moms that had already got on the shuttle. And I said to my nephew, hey, go, go get in there. And so he did. And then I tried to get on. <laughs> and one of the PAs said, no, no, no. Hey, this is just for kids. And I looked at him and I said, but my son just got on. I, I you know, I've got to be. And he's like, oh. And he actually deliberated for a second as to whether he would let me on or not. And maybe he hadn't seen my nephew. He thought I was lying. In which case, cool. I became Billy Zane in Titanic, <laughs> grabbing a stranger and pretending that that stranger was with me so I could get on a lifeboat. Did they cut out the part where they say that Billy Zane's character killed himself after the stock market crash in 29? Maybe that was only in the script. Remind me if you know. Anyhow, so I got to get on that third shuttle of the, you know, the, the, the shuttles that, that came because I had a kid with me. And again, of course I did. Logic would dictate that, of course, those with kids would get on first. Even though I hadn't thought about it, it makes sense. Anyhow, we got in the, the shuttle. And once I was sitting in the shuttle... I started to feel really tired. And my nephew, who had gotten up early to be in school that morning, had, and had had a super long day, although he did sleep the whole drive when I was taking him to set, he, he was wilting too. But that's fine. They took us back to the parking lot, and I don't, didn't have an odometer on me. But I would say it was about two miles, two and a half miles to the parking lot, and I thought about that guy that got the F this noise guy. And I felt sorry for him. The guy that wanted to walk instead of wait for shuttles. But to each their own, you know? He crapped the bed. Now he has to sleep in it. As soon as we got to my car, oh, this was a moment of horror that luckily only lasted about 10 seconds. We got to my car. I felt in my pockets for my keys and they weren't there. 
And then I thought, no, 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 I, knowing me, I probably put my keys in my backpack so that they wouldn't jingle, so I wouldn't have to worry about them. And I felt in my backpack and they weren't there. And so there was a moment of terror when I thought, oh, no. But then I felt around on the opposite side of the backpack and I heard the little clinking sound. And I was like, oh, okay, here they are. And I got us in and we got to, to drive home and he fell asleep immediately, my nephew did. And that, that's fine. And it, yeah, there was a, a stretch during the drive home at about 3, 3.10, something like that, when I realized I wasn't paying attention to my driving anymore. And I thought, wait a minute, where am I? What if I've missed our exit? Where am I? And I looked around. I didn't recognize anything. I was still about 15 minutes from our exit, but I thought that I had overshot it because sometimes you'll do that. Your mind just goes into driving mode. It starts to rest and you're not paying attention. That had happened to me, but it, it was fine. Anyhow, that was the day. That was the experience. I thought that it was really cool. Hopefully my nephew will have made a, a good paycheck from it because, you know, we got paid for the day, but then we also went over and I'm thinking that we get some overtime as well. And, and that's great. If not, it's still, they paid us fairly well. The snowball scene was the most fun thing that we did. And he was telling everybody that he had a good time and he was glad that he did it. And that made me feel warm inside. But the, the second highlight of the night was almost exactly 1 a.m. We were all sitting in the backyard, in the darkened backyard, and some people a few yards away, that's meters for you on the metric system, away, started screaming all of a sudden. But because it was dark, who knew what was going on? Whoa, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? And what had happened was that the sprinklers went off automatically in that yard at 1 a.m. But the yard was so big that there are different banks of sprinklers. So just the people that were over there got hit by the sprinklers and they were gathering up their stuff and screaming and, 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 uh, you know, hurrying to get out of the, the line of fire. But for a moment there, there was just chaos. And it's like, why are people screaming? Who knew? And there, yeah, another German word that we don't have in English is schadenfreude, and there, I have to admit, there was a moment of pure delight hearing these people get hit by sprinklers. If it had been us, it wouldn't have been as funny. But I still would have told the story of the sprinklers going off at 1 a.m. and us getting hit because it is inherently amusing to me. <laughs> I guess I'll have to take back inherently if you did not find it amusing. And if you did not find my relating of this day interesting or fun, then I don't, I don't want you to let me know because it will hurt my feelings. In my mind, these are interesting experiences that I have had. I said in my Patreon address that uh, a certain guy that I know that lives up in Idaho works at a water treatment plant. And one time he talked about what his day is like and the things that he does. And sometimes he has to fish dead bodies out of the water treatment plant. And it's too bad if he doesn't get them after like a week or so because it starts to really poison the drinking water. Usually he'll get them within two or three days, five at the most. But I found his relating of that very, very 
fascinating. And so I hope that there are people out there that find my talk of extra work fascinating as well. Here's hoping. See you. The rich outcast has reached its end. For now, anyway. And on reflection, I suspect it was produced with some sort of Creative Commons license. Perhaps a non-commercial one. One with no derivatives, but with attribution also. Evidence points to the legendary Gino Moretto for the logo and Algar Van Kluth for the rather rude sound that follows. It is my recommendation that you share this file, if you see fit, but do not try to sell it or change it or make alterations to it. If that goes well, perhaps you could contribute a dollar an episode or more to the Patreon fund attached to it over at www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield to ensure that more episodes are produced. If that does not go well, however, I suggest you run. Now! Hey guys, Rish Outfield from the future here, giving you some outtakes from Arkov's Bright Side, from my recording of that. Very briefly, there are certain words that I have a hard time saying, and this book had some things that were difficult. Uh, there was a line, Halvary, this is one of the results of Munchie and Brindle Fluff's pairing. But that's self-evident. Say what? Specifically, the word hesitated is hard for me to do. I'm not sure why. I've gotten better at it, but somehow I feel like she knows that I, I struggle with that word. And so it was in the book multiple times. And as I was editing to keep myself entertained, I clipped out every single one. Enjoy? Question mark. Arkov hesitated. He hesitated. Arkov hesitated. Rup hesitated. She hesitated. He hes hesitated. He hesitated. Arkov hesitated. He hesitated. He hesitated. She hesitated. He hesitated. <laughs> I think I said it right. He hesitated. <laughs> He hesitated. He hesitated and added with less certainty. He hesitated and added with less certainty. He hesitated. Almost. What is it I'm doing wrong? Hesitated. He hesitated and then added. He hesitated. Roop hesitated. Arkov hesitated. He hesitated. He hesitated and added. Alvary hesitated. He hesitated. It's funny, I hesitate during saying hesitated. Hey, I said it fine that time. Storm hesitated. Arkov Arkov hesitated. Arkov hesitated. She hesitated. Almost, I almost got it. She hesitated. No, she hesitated. He hesitated. He hesitated. He hesitated. Arkov hesitated. He hesitated. She hesitated. He hesitated. Dazzle hesitated. Dazzle hesitated. He hesitated. Arkov hesitated. 
Arkov hesitated. One more time. Arkov hesitated. He hesitated. Sonny hesitated. Valerie hesitated. He hesitated. Rup hesitated. Hollygold hesitated. Hollygold hesitated. Hollygold hesitated. Dazzle hesitated. Arkov hesitated. Rup hesitated. He hesitated. Dazzle hesitated. Arkov hesitated. Arkod he hesitated and then added. Dazzle hesitated. He hesitated. Alvary hesitated. He hesitated. Arkov hesitated. He hesitated. He hesitated. Come on, there's only what hesitated. Four syllables. He hesitated. He hesitated and added grudgingly. He hesitated. Storm hesitated again and finally said, Arkov was staring at Halvory with an expression that Halvory couldn't quite interrupt. That Halvory couldn't quite intercept. With an expression that Halvory couldn't quite intercept. It's interpret, Jesus. With an expression that Halvory couldn't quite interpret. Arkov put in Koal. We have probably lost our pursuers. We have probably lost our pursuers. We have lo- We have probably lost our pursuers. We have probably lost our pursuers. We should return to the slot canyons, which are a little safer and which Maoli and I, and with which Maoli and I have more familiarity. That's a hard voice to do. We should return to the slot canyons, which are a little safe, which are a little safer, and with which Maoli and I have more familiarity. <coughs> Returned Lindy. Flurry says you arrived with only sixty cats, but, but I assume they're the, I assume they're the most vicious pachucas in the monkey tree, but I assume they're the best fighters in Leashwood. Rube could tell that Halvory liked the sound of that. He particularly liked the idea of forcing. A, he particularly liked. He particularly liked the idea of forcing a confirmation, of forcing a confrontation on Macex after he'd publicly disdained to parley with Arkov, before he washed into the branch and managed to get his front hooves over it. Thank all the friendly ghosts, especially Caspar. The theory is that Caspar is the ghost of Richie Rich, who died in an ironic accident involving thousands of gold coins. Sorry. Dazzle fidgeted. Dazzle, Dazzle fidgeted. Dazzle fidgeted. I posted on my blog. Uh, if you want, I can podcast about it. Just let me know. But I hoped that people would get on it immediately and say, yeah, yeah, tell us all about it while the memory is still fresh in my mind. And nobody said a goddamn thing. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. There, there, there was not a tremendous amount of interest about it. But one person did say, yeah, I want to know. Tell me. I mean, this, this stuff is cool. And so, in honor of that one person, I'm going to talk about it. That's what I say. What do you say? I do another chapter of Varkov's Bright Side this afternoon. The sun is shining and there's a nice breeze blowing outside. I'll be going there soon. Arkov's bright side, Arkov's bright side, don't look on the whatever the opposite of a bright side is. Arkov's bright side, Arkov's bright side. Oh, you know, I'll record, but first I have to. P- oh, piz. Piz doesn't rhyme with 
is. Darn. Who gives a rat's ass? <laughs> and now go on with this lovely outtake. Uh, years and years ago, uh, I was watching Late Night with David Letterman, and there was a viewer mail question that made such an impression on me, I've never forgotten it. Basically, the letter was, Dear Dave, please um, settle this argument that I have with my brother. We uh, were looking at the settings on the VCR, and we noticed that there was the switch between, and I don't remember if it's EP or LP, so I'll say both, EP and SP. And I said that SP stands for slow play, and my brother said that it stands for standard play. Dave, please set us straight. Which one of us is right? And Dave goes, oh, geez, uh, I don't know. Paul, Paul, do you know? And he goes, gee, Dave, I, I, yeah, I can't say. I, I don't know. And so he says, well, how, how can you hear? We're going to ask our director, Hal Gurney, what the, uh, this is. Uh, did you hear the question, Hal? And Hal is in the control room and he goes, yes, Dave. And by this point, they've wasted like 45 seconds, a full minute on this, this question. He goes, yes, Dave, I've heard it. I've got an answer for you. He goes, yeah. He goes, SP stands for who gives a rat's ass. And that was it. And that was the first time I had ever heard rat's ass. I just never heard that before. And it was struck me as so funny that I've not forgotten it. We're going on like 35 years since I saw that. And it, it, I still remember it vividly how funny I found that to be, that they wasted that much time and they never answered the question. What can I say except Chalupa?